Welcome to TJ Frog's podcast, where I chat about my knitting, dorset buttons and creativity in general, as well as sharing my love of Scotland, especially the Highlands and Islands. Hello, I'm Tanya, aka TJ Frog, or sometimes called the Button Lady. And in my creative business, I predominantly make and promote the traditional craft of dorset buttons, which dates back to the early 1600s, a cottage industry that employed many people in Dorset on the south coast of England. Brought up in Dorset, I now live on the Isle of Skye, and wherever you may be in the world, welcome and thank you for joining me for my 29th episode, Time, Choice and Change. Here we are again, and we find ourselves continuing on with life in a way that it certainly wasn't how 2020 looked probably in our minds or our calendars or our diaries at the start of the year. The expression that's being used a lot at the moment is the new normal. And for some reason, this phrase really grates with me and I can't work out why. I'm certainly not passing judgment on people who use it because how each of us normally operate is probably no longer happening. So I'm just trying to understand why it jars with me so much. And I wondered if anyone else feels like that or is it just me? I was trying to work out, is it because I feel certainly here in the UK, like we're more in a limbo phase, about to potentially enter a transition phase. And actually the new normal, i.e. how we go about our lives on a regular, typical day-to-day basis, and how our lives evolve from this scenario, feels like it's months away from happening, if not longer. So that, to me, is what will eventually become the new normal if that's what it's going to be known as. I think I'm going to try and come up with a phrase that works better for me. I'd love to know your thoughts on it. There's an anonymous poem doing the rounds at the moment which you may have seen and it's called We're Not in the Same Boat. It describes that we're all in the same storm i.e. the pandemic but we're all sailing through it in different boats i.e. our experiences of it all are very different. And it's a complex situation that we're in. And I think the sentiment of the poem summed up to me, what's working for one person will totally not be working for another. We've got conflicting feelings. We live in different circumstances, different countries. The state of our health is different. We have different needs. We have a wide range of perspectives and perceptions and different personality types. For some, Putting the brake on the pace of life has worked brilliantly. Catching up with all the jobs around the house and the garden, learning new skills, volunteering. Others might be working in essential key roles, caring for people, keeping key aspects of our world, working. Others may have found that their day has changed very little. And there'll be those who are focusing on making sure that they have the very basic needs each day of food and shelter. And these are just a snapshot of many of the factors that will lead to all the different ships that we are in navigating our way through this storm, ultimately trying to keep afloat and come out the other side. As I say, this just this analogy just sort of resonated with me. And I think whatever ship you are in, I hope that you've got the emotional and practical support that you need whether that be from family, friends, neighbours, volunteers or support groups. 
This leads me back then to the title of today's episode, Time, Choice and Change. When I last spoke to you, we were a few days into our first week of lockdown here in the UK and now we're about to enter our sixth week. It feels in some way like time has stood by, but in other ways it feels like the time has flown by. The first week and the lead up to it pretty much did actually pass me by. I totally lost track of time. And I found myself getting upset, not for myself, but for others, when I was reading about what was happening to people around the world, and especially for people in my community here, particularly those self-employed on Sky, where tourism is a very large source, if not their only source of income. Time then, I found myself reflecting a lot on the times that we find ourselves in now, and the time before the pandemic. And it's made me think about how I've personally used time in the past, and how I might use it in the future. Choice. Well, many of us are operating under very specific instructions at the moment from our prime ministers, first ministers, presidents, and time passes as we await the next instruction in order to shift our position within this scenario. It made me think that the choices we have now are very different to those that we had before the pandemic. There are choices that have been taken away from us. There are new ones that have been presented to us and how we choose to spend our day and what choices we might make in the future based on changes that inevitably we will be living in or under. I know that many people fear change while others will welcome new ways of living, working and connecting with one another. It certainly feels to me like quite a surreal experience almost at times like I'm sort of looking down on it all happening it's bizarre and I do wonder what changes we will be faced with that will be out with our control and what ones will be within our control that we make a choice to change so yeah (laughs) that's what's been going on in my head (laughs) or the psychology part of my head it's certainly been whirling away and cogitating There's a lot of uncertainty, there's despair and there's immense sadness with the loss of life and it's reassuring to see the incredible efforts and commitment by so many people working to support people in need and every time I read about or I hear about an act of kindness or a human story, however small, however large, I find myself welling up. It's really strange. Strange, strange times. Many of you have been in touch to say that you had holiday planned or booked to come to Skye or other places in the Highlands and Islands this year. And it's hard seeing so many, as I say, on the island suffer without the tourists coming to the island and the whole uncertainty that lies ahead around that. I hope that for you and for them that you will be able to make it back here one day. In the meantime, I hope that you're all keeping as well as you can and I hope the podcast provides you with a bit of escapism. Okay, if you stuck with me this far, well done. I'm impressed. Thank you. Let's crack on with the contents for this episode and see where it takes us. I'll be covering the weather. The weather in lockdown has been fairly kind to us I have to say we've been very fortunate making I will bring you up to date on what projects I've put my attention to over the past few weeks Dorset buttons 
a little bit of news there on what I've been up to. Local Lowdown talking about community spirit, a couple of things here on Sky and across the bridge. Today I bring you the second interview with knitwear designer Di Gilpin. The weather. On the whole, the weather has been really kind to us during this past month. The first three weeks of lockdown was a bit mixed. We had heavy cloudy days, some rain, but really nothing too bad at all. And we've managed on most of our walks to to dodge the rain. Since then, the sun has shone and shone, which has been incredibly uplifting. It's been a bit of a chill breeze at times, but out of the breeze, it's been very warm. And I've even been able to sit outside and do work sometimes, which is amazing. Nature still carries on around us, though. And in our crofting community, lambing's been the key focus for the past couple of weeks. Yeah, despite what's happening in the world, spring is still popping up. There's no change there. We've got new life in fauna and flora all around us. And I love seeing the lambs who've been doing a fair bit of sunbathing in this glorious weather we've been having. I've said before, we're very grateful and incredibly fortunate that we live somewhere with wide open spaces and lovely walks that we can do from the house. And I cannot begin to imagine what it must be like for you if you don't have any garden or outside space to walk in nearby your home. It feels hard sometimes getting the balance right, putting up photos of sky and the space that we have. But I know that many of you have been in touch to say how much you actually like seeing them and it does actually help you and to keep them coming. So that's what I'm doing. I know a recent very short video I put up of water lapping on the shoreline, which to me is a, a very soothing sound that seemed to resonate with a lot of you too. To be fair, I've actually also really enjoyed seeing photos of your spaces as well. Some of you I know have had to get very imaginative what you do for your daily exercise, going out at different times a day to make sure that you can get that little bit of free space. And I've learned all sorts of new things about places, architecture, building, landscapes, wildlife, flowers. There's a lot to be gained from sharing these photographs with each other. What I will say (laughs) is you cannot walk out of our house without encountering a hill. And I am not complaining about this. I have this great outdoor space. I've already said that. We we are very, very lucky. But yeah, it's hilly. And <laughs> boy, do my hips hurt. They've been really feeling it. I trapped my nerve one weekend in my hip. And oh my, yeah, that was not good. And the desire to have a walk on a flat bit of ground had never been greater. <laughs> not something we have in our particular corner of sky. There is one thing, though, that I'm anticipating out of all of this, that my hips are going to be toned up a bit more. And I will have well and truly embedded that good daily exercise programme. We have no influence at the moment on the future of uh, my husband Garrett's work. It's completely out of our hands. It has been lovely having him home all the time, though, because he was due to be away most of April. And it's been great to have him to do those walks with. And he's also enjoyed having more time to photograph the countryside and the wildlife around us. While that's not happened through choice, he's definitely welcomed the change. The weather has also meant the garden has had a bit of much needed attention. 
although it's not going to be transformed overnight. It's uh, quite, I call it a rustic garden, actually. It's quite wild. We even have our very own special gorse bush in it. Wildflower seeds have been sown, though, although the lack of rain has meant that Garrett's had to go out and water them. <laughs> and watering the garden on Sky was not something he actually ever envisaged doing. <laughs> I got some tomato plants, which I've never grown before, and I've also got some herb seeds. My success with them remains to be uh, seen. Oh, I got a blueberry bush as well. Not sure why, but I've always fancied having a blueberry bush. So again, we will wait to see uh, whether or not I'm able to uh, nurture this to any success. We now no longer have our neighbour's sheep on our extra part of land. And again, with the good weather, the grass is sprouting up and it dawned on us that uh, we're now going to need to cut this unless, of course, we leave it to become a wild meadow. Does that sound like a good choice? We think it might do. <laughs> we are definitely going to let it just grow this year because one year it was just a mass of bluebells absolutely superb carpet of blue we've not had that since so whether it was just that particular year the sheep weren't in there so often i don't know but we're hoping that they will come back this year and we're just going to watch what does grow throughout this year without the sheep on and then decide what we do with that parcel of land the dolphins are back a very welcome change for us we haven't seen dolphins here for a very, very long time. Setting aside the obvious that you've, you've got to be sat looking out the window to see them at the right time. In the first couple of years that we were here, we would regularly see pods of dolphins of about 150 plus moving their way along the headland. And then it just stopped. And we weren't sure why. We weren't sure whether it was because the level of fishing has actually increased in our particular bay. And so whether there was less supplies of fish or just the, the number of vessels there had put them off, we, we really don't know. And it's sad that we've not seen pods of this magnitude for so long. And even though they're back, we've just still only seen a handful of them. And whether it's because the weather's been so calm and the sea's been flatter or because those fishing vessels are not there and there's more fish sources for them, we don't know. We've even had an otter return to our bay and we've not seen any otters around for a while either. Where we actually live on our corner of Skye, it's always been a very quiet part of Skye, although we have had increased number of tourists venturing down to see us in recent years. Usually though, the sounds around where we are are the odd chainsaw, tractor, quad bike, cars, children playing, sheep, cows. And this still remains today, although we have far fewer vehicles and car noise, even though, as I say, that's not something that's actually um, a particularly high background noise for us. The two noises that have really changed noticeably during this lockdown period are the absence of the transatlantic flights and the increased amount of birdsong. We've always had great birdsong here. For some reason, though, there's either a lot more birds about they're making a lot more noise or we're just noticing it more or it could be a combination of all three and we have a thrush just outside one of our windows who's up at the top of the tree early in the morning calling out for a mate and in fact I have the windows open at the moment 
where I'm recording, so I don't know whether any of the background birdsong will be caught on this recording. But we've certainly been enjoying listening to, to the birds. Other encounters this spring, the first cuckoo, the first swallows just arrived yesterday. We've heard woodpeckers on our walks. We've seen buzzards flying overhead or sat on the fence posts and they're not being moving on as much as perhaps they normally do when you're out and about. And again, whether that's just because there's less movement, it's a little bit like winter. We see a lot more wildlife in the winter when there's less people and less traffic around and it still feels like that time. We've also seen white-tailed eagles quite a bit, again, probably for the same reasons. We've had frogs mating on the footpath on our walk in front of us <laughs> and we've been watching the tadpoles develop. And hedgehogs! Oh, I love hedgehogs. We often see hedgehogs in and around our property, but normally we would see them in the winter, in the dark. This time we saw them in daylight moving across our grass. And yes, not one, but two. We couldn't believe our eyes. It was an amazing sight. Really lovely to see them. Spring carries on regardless then. It keeps on giving to us. The wild garlic is now lining some of the roadsides and the odd bluebells can be seen peeking through the grasses. The one thing that really hasn't given us a fantastic display this year is the gorse. I, I might have um, touched on this last time. It's a little bit like you know autumn when the, the trees turn red and oranges and golden yellows? Some winters that display is really rich and intense and others it's quite weak. That's a little bit what the gorse has been like this year. It is golden and it is producing a lovely yellow but it just doesn't seem to have had the depth of colour and also the amount of flowers. It's still there though, still hanging on in with the last of the daffodils still uh, blowing in the breeze as well. We've just had some rain arrive after this very long dry spell which has been much welcomed particularly by the crofters after all the sunshine had dried up the, the land. Making. On social media I have seen numerous neglected stashes during this period getting a lot of attention and that's great. While I haven't started delving into my stash quite yet but I can tell you and you might well have already seen this on Instagram or Facebook stories I have done some blocking yes blocking that's blocking of my knitting projects can you believe it <laughs> oh I'm so chuffed <laughs> there is more to come on this Surprisingly, I thought I would have started my embroidery project by now and I nearly picked it up one day, but I haven't. I have been conscious to try and really finish some of the projects I've already got on the go and there's been some other new things I've been working on, so the embroidery's taken a back seat for another day. I'm glad that my shoulder's still bearing up, although I made a few dorset buttons a couple of weeks ago for one of my new work projects and... I certainly felt it in my shoulder for a couple of days afterwards. Having said that, this weekend I woke up with a trapped nerve in my neck, which has meant a couple of days down tools again and no knitting, which is really not good because I love knitting. Let's get on to the blocking then. You may well remember the shawl pattern that I bought earlier this year from Melanie Berg and the yarn from Larissa of Travel Knitter. I bought them as they were both putting money from the sales of these products towards the relief work for the Australian bushfires. 
and the shawl is finished. It's been quite an interesting knit at times because the garter stitch part was easy and it just flew off my knitting needles. I absolutely loved the long rows of garter stitch. Then we had the lace section and I've been so wanting to get this finished. I was determined that this was the knitting project I was going to be doing and nothing else was going to get touched till this was done. The first time I tried to do it on a Zoom call with a group, I spent quite a lot of time afterwards unpicking it all and writing my mistakes. And one of the key things is not just because I was on the lace section, it's also because the yarn colour is like a charcoal, almost black. So yeah, trying to do lace in such a dark colour when you're on a Zoom call with people and trying to talk, it wasn't my best um, moment. There's over, four, well, sorry, just under 400 stitches per row. So it took me quite a while to get into the groove of the stitch repeats in a row. It's something I'm not ever particularly good at remembering stitch repeats. I know it's a rhythm, but for some reason my brain doesn't cope with that very well. And I know that you can put stitch markers, and I love stitch markers, but having that many stitch markers every few stitches yeah, it's just too many again for me to kind of deal with. I did eventually crack it though. It all clicked and fell into place and I managed to do it during Zoom calls. The shawl is called Caress My Soul, which feels very poignant right now. It was bought at a time to donate money towards a natural disaster and it's now a shawl that gives me comfort at a time when we face much uncertainty over the future. And yes, it's not just been blocked. It went straight from my needles to the blocking mat. It didn't even spend a night in the blocking bag. It jumped the whole blocking queue. The yarn is a camel and silk mix. And at £26 for 100 grams, I realise this is a luxury. However, it is absolutely just beautiful. It blocks amazingly it really stretches out it drapes incredibly if you were looking for something luxury as a real treat can definitely recommend this particular yarn and the beautiful colors the rich colors that larissa hand dyes them to i love it i'm going to get a lot of wear out of this both summer and winter because i can see myself wearing it with like a sleeveless top to just cover my arms and give that little bit of extra warmth but also I can see me wearing it in the winter it's just like a big snuggly hug it really is amazing blocking them I've also blocked another shawl one out of the blocking bag so that's two done and another one has made its way out of the blocking mat sorry, the blocking bag, getting ahead of myself there, out of the blocking bag. <laughs> and it's just on its way to the blocking mat. This is looking promising. That will be a third one. More info will follow on this progress I am making. That's the only project I've finished. I've now moved on to finishing off my projects from the retreat in Spain I went to with Di Gilpin. I said last time that I was going to chat about the projects that we did in this episode. I realised though that Di and I talk about these in our interview, which is at the end of this episode. I don't want to take away from this. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to finish off those projects and I will do a show and tell on them in the next episode. 
Sadly, we've seen Shetland Wool Week become another event that won't be running in 2020. And I know for many of us, this is a massive blow, although totally the right decision. It certainly feels like it must have been a very emotional decision for the Shetland Amenity Trust to make. I've loved seeing all the Katie's Keps, the hat designed by Wilma Malcolmson, pop up on my social media feed. And there's some fantastic colour combinations. I've yet to start this purely because I want to finish off some of my other projects first and start other ones I've previously mentioned, although it is on my list to do. I said last time in the local lowdown that I'd set up an online craft group for people here on Sky and that's been going brilliantly. We've got a core of people now who come each time and we all live on different parts of the island and it's good to hear what's happening in each different community as well as chat about our projects, see the progress that everyone's making and so far we've had knitting, crochet, paper art, needle felting, embroidery, colouring, cross stitch all sorts of crafts and that was why I particularly made it a craft group so that people could bring anything along to do and in fact last time we actually had somebody who's in the process of making shields so face shields not face masks for the local hospital. I've also recently been invited to another zoom group which is for knitters and I think probably what I hope that comes out of all of this is that some of these online groups continue whenever it is we emerge out of the the other side of this. It gives people more choice and it perhaps provides a social connection for people who are not as necessarily, say, mobile for whatever reason, or people who perhaps just prefer that way of interacting. Dorset Buttons. Firstly, my newsletter, which I touched on last time. I've finally, finally got that all written up. If you're a newsletter subscriber, firstly, thank you for sticking with me on this. I know some of you have waited a long time for it. If you're not a subscriber and you'd like to be, then you can subscribe via the website. There's a link at the top of the page or there's a link on my Facebook page. If you receive the podcast and blogs via email, then please note that that's actually a different sign up to the newsletter. The newsletter is more for updates and special offers and just little quick messages. I hope now having got over the hurdle of writing the first one, then they will become a lot easier to write. I touched on how I was feeling in that first week of lockdown and after that, the next couple of weeks, I was really productive. I sort of had this newfound energy and I've been trying to figure out why and where that came from. And I think it's probably a number of reasons. I would imagine all the extra exercise I've been doing and the good weather have certainly helped. The amount of information entering my inbox has drastically diminished. I run three different email accounts and it can be hard keeping on top of them sometimes. So I think not having those demands in quite the same way has maybe given me a bit more time and space. I've said before that this time of year was always about me catching up on projects from last year that didn't get finished and doing some design work. So that's really what my focus has been. Unlike some of my peers, I haven't had the worry of whether or not a yarn festival I'm exhibiting at is happening. We have all gradually seen in different parts of the world various yarn festivals being cancelled. 
And it's been great to see how many of them have adapted and a lot of them have now been providing an online virtual yarn festival, which is great. And again, maybe we will see this happen more in the future as well. I'm not quite ready to share everything that I've been working on with you. I'm nearly there. Some new products have gradually been added to the website and there's a few more that uh, are still yet to be put on there. And I have a new range coming that the idea of it was one that goes back to 2018. And finally, it has come to fruition with the last pieces currently being put in place. And I'm really excited to be launching that in the coming weeks. I've also been doing some knitting design and that takes up a lot of time. Drawing, choosing yarns, charting, swatching, redoing, etc. And I will be able to show you the results of my labour in the forthcoming weeks and months. I think in the last couple of days, my renewed energy has dipped again (laughs) and I'm not quite sure why. Maybe I just expended too much energy in those couple of very productive weeks that I've just talked about. Oh, it could have been those shawls I've blocked. They've zapped me of all my powers. Who knows? I just hope that uh, I'm able to remuster that energy and crack on again. On to the sky focus, starting with the local lowdown. Local seems to be key at the moment and we are very fortunate with all that we have available to us here on Sky. There are many volunteers working to deliver food or medicines or providing support in other ways. There's a lot more places doing a click and collect style service at certain drop off points on the island. The butchers will now drop off and there's a community van picking up orders from food outlets such as salad and herb growers, bread makers, fish companies. Yes, we've had our fair share of shortages on certain products like toilet rolls. I mean, where did that even start? Who started that off? I've never actually quite got to the bottom of that. Oh, okay, no pun intended there. I really, really didn't mean to say that. Oh dear. Okay. What I was trying to say is I never quite understood where the whole toilet roll stockpiling thing came from. Moving on. (laughs) You may remember back in episode 26, I interviewed Fiona from the Misty Bottle here on Sky. And while they are classed as a business that can stay open, unfortunately, the space they have does not allow for social distancing. So they've adapted and they're now using their branded Morris Minor van to do drop offs again at these central points around the island. And in the interview, I also chatted to Fiona about the red telephone box, which they had put outside to tie in with the fact that their building had originally been the post office and people used to go there to make calls. Fiona said that they had got some plans for the box and she teased us saying that something might be happening this summer. Well, it has been put to use earlier than planned. They have turned it into a community food box with non-perishable food items and toiletries or to give it its proper name, the red food p-h-o-o-d box of course with the nod to it being a phone box and that is there for people in their vicinity who perhaps are unable to source particular items or even have access to food and need to be able to those items are there for them and other people can come along and put donations in At the end of the day, any food or magazines in the co-op that are going out of date, they are put out at a point as well for people to come and take free of charge. And there's various places on the island providing free food parcels for those in need. 
The Spanish market for shellfish has fallen away. So there's a lot more opportunities for people on the island to purchase direct from the fishermen these products too. The key thing though is the island is empty and I know those working in tourism are finding it particularly strange. Many of the beauty spots though are having extra time to recover from the impact of the volume or the increase of volume of visitors that they've seen in recent times. I hope though that ultimately wherever you are there is good local support for you whether it be accessing food or other services that you require at this time. Lastly today's interview it's back across the bridge. I received some lovely feedback on the interview last month with knitwear designer Di Gilpin and her production manager Sheila. Sheila? Sorry Sheila. Sheila Greenwell and if you've not let yet listen to it you might want to go and have a listen in it's a lovely interview we had a lot of fun doing it the interview i have today with di whose strap line is croft to couture as di started her knitwear design career in a croft house here on the isle of sky for those of you who might not know that and she's gone on to design for many top fashion houses around the world including one-off exclusive pieces that have graced the catwalk and if you know or have ever met di or you listened into the last interview you will have got that essence of what a humble person she is. And with all that she has done and achieved to date, she has a great passion for sharing her skills with people while still pushing the boundaries of design. We were sat outside recording this interview in Spain just a few weeks ago and it's just mind-blowing what has happened in that short space of time since then. Listening back to the recording, there is a bit of background noise at times. I didn't notice it at the time. I'm not actually sure what it even is. It actually sounds a bit to me like a toilet flushing, although I don't think it was. (laughs) I'm really not sure, but as I say, it doesn't happen that often. Listen in to Di and I chatting and I will talk to you afterwards about some of the things that are brought up in the interview. Enjoy. When we spoke before with yourself and Sheila... We mentioned about Spain and we're at the end of your knitting retreat that you've organised for the second year running here in Spain. And I think what would be lovely to hear about is Mm -hmm. what Spain means to you and and how you ended up in this particular area as well. Gosh, well, I suppose we should go back to the beginning. Yes, yeah. Yeah. In about, well, when I was at university, I was really interested in literature and history and how literature can give us more insight into the social history of a place. And one of the writers that I read was Gerald Brennan, who was on the periphery of the Bloomsbury Group. Okay. And he came out here to live, and Lighton Strachey followed him, and Dora Carrington, who was in love with Lighton Strachey, came too, and she was a phenomenal painter. And last year on the retreat, we did a huge thing about Dora and her paintings and portraiture and colour work. And this year I wanted to kind of reflect a bit more about the Spain that Gerald Brennan had inspired me with. So when I was um, about 23, I was invited out to a friend's house up in one of the really remote villages, Capilera, just below the snow line in the Sierra Nevada or La, Las Alpujarra, which okay. is what they call it, just to house sit and to do some repairs on the house whilst we were there. So I came for three months and I walked all the valleys and the 
hills and all the beautiful little footpaths around the valleys. And I just fell in love and was enchanted and that was the valley that Gerald Brennan had lived in. And in the house, the friends had been friends of Gerald Brennan and they had one of his first edition books with all his own personal photographs in, oh, which had not been published. Right. So I'd spend the winters reading this and other amazing texts in the house and I discovered that the light was so amazing for knitting too. I could sit on the terrace, you know, for very long days. The light was, lo was very bright and lovely and the weather was very good and so I could tie in designing and being up in this amazing, very rural, quiet, very special place yes. that was quite relatively warm during the day so I could sit outside, get all the natural light flooded onto my knitting and do all the pattern work I needed to do for the year ahead. And so that, that content, that's how it started. And right. So it's a long time ago now, but I just wanted to share my passion for this incredible area and I felt it tied in with knitting. Yes, yes. And, you know, there was a long history of silk making here. So there was a lot of artisans weaving in the area. And there are sheep, but they're not, not really sheep that you would take the fleece from and knit from. But it just seemed to tie in. And the whole area was developed by the Berbers from the 11th, 12th century onwards. And they created all these amazing... Athekias, water waterways and yes. irrigation systems and they grew incredible they introduced incredible plants and they're still here mostly uh, so there was always an inspiration things to draw you know patterns of leaves and vines and the little fields and how they the terraces work so there's always lots of in nature and in the architecture to draw and to love yes so, yeah, so that's, that's it. It goes back a long way. And after that, I got to know very well Chris Stewart, who wrote Driving Over Lemons. In fact, I knew him before, whilst he was writing his first chapter of his book, and we were staying just next door, and he asked us to proofread the first chapter <laughs> <laughs> and give it the thumbs up or the thumbs down. <laughs> so I read it and absolutely loved it. And, of course, it, then it, he went on and finished the book, it took about 18 months, and it was published, and it was a great hit, but we've stayed really best friends ever since, and my son is about the same age as their daughter, so they used to be big buddies when they were little. And eventually we bought a farm here, and we'd spend four months here every winter. We had caretakers living at the farm, and we'd collect olives and make olive oil, and we collect it very much in the way they collect it in Italy. So we'd hand-pick the olives. Okay. So there was no bruising to the skin. Right. So that keeps a very lovely acidity, but not too acidic. And we'd hand-press because they were organic. And then we'd take those back to Sky with us. And all the restaurants used to buy it because it was fantastic olive oil. Brilliant. Yeah. <laughs> and we used to have um, an almond crop. And on the farm we had tangerines, mandarinos, pomegranates. And in one little frost pocket, we had three apple trees. And they survived even in the heat, and they made the sweetest eating apples ever. So I used to, I used to actually cook them and bottle them. 
and keep them for the year ahead. And we'd have that with we'd take them back to Sky and have them with porridge. Oh. <laughs> yes. I mean, we just sat down on on this terrace as the the sun is setting. And as we sat down, you said, "Oh, there's quince flower. Yeah. And there's almond tree behind, behind you. us. And yeah. Yeah, yeah, I think what struck me this week as well is all the orange trees. What was the Oranges. orange that you mentioned? There's the dulce, the sweet, right? Which they make marmalade from but also you can squeeze that it's quite juicy it's got very crinkly outer skin but it's it's sweet but with a bitterness right um and so some people add a bit of sugar but other people actually make it more bitter by adding lemon actually there was a tree next to our house which was an orange tree which somebody had grafted lemons onto so you had both orange and lemon oh, lovely. on the same tree and, and as they fruit the, the blossom starts to come out so yes. you have the amazing orange blossom smell which I love. Yes. You know, and there's lots of rosemary here. There's some incredible herbs. In the Alpujarra, they have a very special relationship with the plants and with the herbs. And there's quite a lot of herbalists here and people who make creams and all sorts of things for the skin or um, for maladies. And they treat a lot of the animals with, with herbal remedies. Chris Stewart's wife, Annie, is an amazing plants woman okay. and she has an amazing garden and she treats all their animals homeopathically or with you know her own herbal concoction so I was very interested in that and the first person that came here and recorded all of that was an Italian who came with her husband who was a diplomat in Malaga and it was too hot for her and there was typhoid a threat of typhoid so she brought her children up to Lanheron where our farm was to spa town and she lived there and then went up into the villages collecting recipes. And she published a book in about 1870. And Viraggio actually published that book in the 70s, republished it okay. with some of her recipes right. in. Because um, mm. they're really powerful and incredibly good. Yes. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, there's a huge history of interesting people coming to the place and falling in love with it and staying. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's my first experience and of this area and it is just stunning. And I, I actually can't believe how green it is considering they've not had much snow, you know, yes. we've, we've, as we're sort of seeing with the climate changing yeah. around the world. Mm -hmm. They're suffering because they haven't really had the snowfall that they normally have. have they, they haven't. They had some wet in the autumn, which mm. is good. What the Alpara doesn't need is constant rain no. for a long period because no. it's um, there's a lot of subsidence and yeah. it's a new mountain range, so it's quite fragile. But it does need snow. Yeah, because it's that snow melt. It's a snow melt. Slow melt. Slow melt. Slow melt. Slow melt, isn't it? That just the ground can gradually yes. seep up. And, and also, as it melts, like the Himalaya, um, they drain it off into these little athekias channels. And then they feed it slowly down the mountain in big zigzags yes. to each farm. And so you have, say, an hour when you open a little metal kind of... It's like a little gate trap, really, isn't it? Yes. Gate. Yeah, like a trap. And bit, then yes. all the water comes into your land and it floods your land and you can save a bit as well in, in a little lake. And then you have to shut the gate yes. and the water goes to your yes. neighbour. <laughs> and if you forget to do it for over two weeks, then you don't get it ever again. Oh, OK. So it's really, oh. it's so important. <laughs> yes. So important, yeah. water and the system. But there are springs and 
in the village we're staying in, Ferriola, there is the only um, slightly sparkling spring in the Alpahara and it is full of iron and which is where Ferriola comes from, Ferris. Right. So it's a mineralised spring which is so tasty and amazing. I drink it when I'm here all the time. Yeah, it is just beautiful, very relaxing, as you say, stunning light and the landscape. We were, we were fortunate enough to have a walk yesterday with Chris, weren't we? And mm. it just was amazing. And his stories, of course, Yes. as a shepherd in the mountains is incredible and the people he's met yes. and the doing the transhumans walks which he's done with the shepherds taking their sheep. It doesn't happen as much now. But, I mean, those stories are amazing. And actually ending up yesterday in the Plaza de Gerald Brennan. Yeah, it was like a circle for you, wasn't tiny it? tiny village. Yes. And the house where he'd spent a lot yes. of time. And then meeting um, Lars, who is now 85, who was a ceramicist from Sweden, who settled here and became big friends of Gerald meeting his daughter yes. and his granddaughter yes. and being invited to go back was yeah. absolutely so special. It was really, really special. Yeah. And oh. we got invited to somebody's amazing garden. We did, yes. <laughs> yeah, so we had quite a day yesterday. We did. But that's it. I mean, there's a huge friendliness. Mm. And I think the mountains do that wherever you are. Yes. Life can be really hard. And so people really appreciate their neighbours. Yes. And we just saw those ladies who we met at lunchtime, yes. and they've just called in to see, you know, to what see the we're knitting because they're knitters. Because yes, they're knitters, and yeah. that was lovely. Yes. Yes. Yeah, it's that universal thing that sets up a conversation. Absolutely. Yes. Yes, and the little French restaurant, the only vegetarian restaurant in the whole Alpahara, <laughs> is in the next village. And I was chatting to the to the person who runs it. And he said, oh, oh, my wife, my wife must come down. She <laughs> loves knitting. <laughs> and actually they crocheted uh, the village of Pampanera last year. And they had banners hanging in crochet, anything, you know, they could, they could wrap in crochet. So, I mean, there's a real interest yes. amongst people, yeah. especially if you make anything by hand. Yes. So, you know, there's a great leather worker here. We went to the weaving studio today yes. where they're weaving... Linens, silks, you know, back to the tradition of silk weaving and mohairs, wools. And the, the owner of the weaving workshop, she's trained up a young English woman who's moved here to the, to the loom. Yes. And she's making incredible herringbone patterns and absolutely loving it and, and feels she's learned total skill and she's going to do it. This is it. Yes. She just wants to keep doing it you know, and pass it on to somebody else. So um, I think that's, you know, the legacy yes. is not going to die. Although she was very formidable, the woman that owned yes. the shop <laughs> and has been five times mayor of the village. <laughs> no, she must be doing all the right things. She was. Voted her in. Yes. And she, she trained this young woman, yes. which is fantastic. Yeah. And then the lovely Swedish woman was there who's been looking after us at Casa Anna and she's a great weaver. And that was lovely. Yes seeing yeah. that. We've been very fortunate. We've done really, really well this week. And in terms of, you talked about your retreat last year and some of what you did on the retreat being inspired by the writers. Mm -hmm. Tell us about your inspiration for the retreat this year with a couple of the projects. Because yes. we've done a 
couple of well done quite a few projects yes. yes and we had a really special outing as well in relation to we one did. of the projects yeah we did we do think through our projects really carefully so the first one was based on picasso who has you know was born in malaga whose house i've visited many times and there is now an amazing museum there it's based on his harlequin painting and i've always been really interested in piero and harlequin and the kind of storytelling and theatre, you know, the Italian theatre. Yes, yes. And travelling troubadours, which um, happened here in Spain. Lorca, Garcia Lorca, Federico Garcia Lorca, were, you know, a lot of his plays and works were read out in the villages. And there was a whole movement to um, take plays and stories and move them around, as they did in the medieval Europe. It's a big thing. So... So I took the diamond pattern from Picasso's painting and created um, intarsia mittens with some fab colours yes. <laughs> in the Laland. And people could choose their own colours, but it was like bright, um, what we call furs, which is Gallic for the gorse flower, the bright yellow, yes. which they have here. The broom is coming of out course, now. Yeah. And that's that really golden bright yellow. Yeah, it's really rich. Rich. <laughs> and then the turquoise, bright turquoise, which we call Korosk from the loch in the middle of the Kulin Mountains on Skye. And then the deep lagon blue, which is from the loch. Then we also put in storm petrol? No. No, it's just... The it was Bell Rock. Bell Rock, sorry. That fantastic bright blue. <laughs> yes. That bright blue. We haven't blue. got them in front of us to look at. So, Bell Rock. And yeah. that's based, that's named after the lighthouse, the first lighthouse in Scotland that was built near our studio. Right, okay. And it's that really bright blue. But it's also the blue of the ceramics from Granada. Yes, yes. And we so, were hearing yesterday about the traditional way, weren't we, with the um, numbers for the houses. Yes, Ceramics based on terracotta, but then with a white glaze, which goes a little bit pinky, and then this gorgeous bright blue. Yes. And often with the um, pomegranate drawn on, painted on, which is the symbol of Granada. Granada yes. means pomegranate. And actually that tradition comes from Persia, from, right. gosh, a thousand years yeah. ago. Yeah. So that, that tradition of that glaze and that sort of painting came via Persia to Granada yes, and where it has a home. There's still two fabrica um, makers of these tiles in Granada and you can commission them. In fact, our farm, we had all our tiles for the kitchen that we made were from there. But in the bathroom, which was tiny upstairs, which just had a little fireplace and a ceramic uh, and a ceramic bowl beside it and you heated up the water over a fire in a pot and then poured it into this amazing old huge basin which had been made in Granada right. probably about 1870 it's a really ancient tradition yes yeah. yeah, and those four colours just work so well together they in the design and they do uh, and they're really of the place aren't yes. they yes. it's like um just perfect, really. Yeah. And one or two people played around the yes, colours, yeah. which is lovely, and I really like that. Yeah. And I think everybody's really enjoyed that. So that was kind of Picasso, and you can't really... I mean, you know, he's such an amazing ideas person. So then we moved on, and we went to Granada for the day, and we went to the Alhambra, and we had a wonderful tour 
with the dearest person, we Marina. did, yes. And she was from the village where my farm is, from Lanharon, which is a spa town. And she was full of life and um, stories and so interested in history. Yes, yes. And she took us round for three plus hours. Yes. <laughs> and we only went to two of the places <laughs> we were supposed to go to because we wanted to concentrate on the highly decorative palaces of the Nazareth um, period. And there you have tile work and you have the stucco plaster work. And so we photographed lots and it's been a big inspiration of mine many years even the stonework and the brickwork because the brickwork is unique to the Alhambra they learnt how to make vaulted ceilings in brick which you see in the baths in there yes so we spent ages in there photographing and learning about the different rulers and leaders and how families had argument I mean it was like I hate to say EastEnders, but I mean, I've never watched it, but I mean, it is about, it's, no, it's Shakespeare, Shakespeare is, is absolutely like, you know, the most incredible sagas yes. of people and the influences from all the different, you know, religions and peoples that travel through. So it's like a multicultural centre, really. Yes, yeah. And so we took the inspiration from that, asked people to look around them and see things and Tanya you got it <laughs> you spotted the inspiration I had taken a photo of it you had <laughs> which was really amazing because it's something people often walk by and don't look at and it's like a stucco dome yes which is um you see in India as well and it's kind of like a divine shape so and it's a bit like a pomegranate yes, actually it is, isn't it? and within it it's filled in they'd filled it in with Arabic writing and yes. two different types of Arabic writing. So I'd taken that image and I'd added in a bit of a story from a, a piece that I made years ago for Rowan for Shorelines, which was the Caspian jacket. And so I'd used one of the symbols in that, which you see in the Alhambra. And that was actually from a friend who was traveling around the world who'd sent me drawings, because it was in snail post days, and she'd sent me drawings of places she'd been. And this was from shards of pottery from the Caspian Sea. Right. And, of course, the pattern, you know, is replicated. So the, the bottom section of the pattern is that. And then it goes into this beautiful dome. And I've put in these kind of, this kind of secret code, which looks a bit like Fair Isle. Yes, yes. <laughs> and is Fair Isle, in a sense. But some of them are stars and the constellations, which are very important in Islamic art, and stars outside it in different colours. Mm. So we explored Intarsia, Fair Isle, and then we did some Swiss darning yes. for the stars. Yeah. And people could choose their own colours. And Tanya, you chose a wonderful colour scheme, and you used some of the amazing linen, hemp, that we had with us that had been from a project I'd done with a company in Cornwall many years ago, right. where they were growing their own hemp and dyeing it. Um, so there was some of that left, and I thought, yes. perfect for here. Well, the so, colours just reminded me of, actually, some of what we saw there. It, yes, absolutely. Yeah. So this, it's kind of golden colours yes. flickering through the kind of terracotta-y, uh, sandstone-y, yes. earthy yes. colours. Really beautiful. And other people did other colours. I think just about everybody's finished that project. Yeah, which is so exciting. <laughs> I've um, got a few more races to do. <laughs> exactly. And, and that, that can be developed into all sorts of projects, which we talked about. Yes. It can be a snood. It can be a wall hanging. It can be a cushion. It can be, initially I'd thought, an iPad cover. 
and the back of it is going to be knitted in one and one fair iron stripes. Yes. Which everyone's done little samplers for. Yes. Which is really cool because there they can just let rip with colour and from the stash take out all sorts, try silks in it to see how they respond with the wools, linens. That was a real colour thing. So we've done that and then we've made Dorset buttons. We have, yes. <laughs> Which is fantastic. Really cool. Aww. So everybody's making projects where they can put their buttons yes, in they now. Can. Which yeah. is really nice. It's lovely, I loved it. It's good. And then we did a Gallantie project. Yes. So that was quite a lot. Yes. Yeah, we've done extremely well. Brushed up on skills, new skills, new ideas, stretching our minds, looking at things in a different creative way whether it be looking at places landscapes just thinking about how we can create that within our knitwear and also colors and working with different colors together as well yeah yeah, yeah. i am bursting with ideas to take Yay! home <laughs> i'm so happy yeah and i think it's also been a real retreat yes yeah for many people it's been a total chance to relax and to make yes. and to share and to learn. Yes. And we've been cozied up in this incredible environment and looked after so well at Casa Ana with amazing food, all organic and local and beautifully made by um, various chefs. And it's been a, a chance to get to know people and it's been a wonderful group. Yes. Yeah, it's been a lovely group. I think there's, as you say, we've, we've probably all learned something from one another yes. along the way. Yes. And, and that's great when people mm. share. And and people will keep in touch. Yes. Which yes. is really important. Yes. I yeah. think. And as they did from last year, which was really exciting. And if you've learned or even gained an insight into your own creative space and where you want to go with yes. it, that is absolutely what the whole thing is about. Yes. Yeah, I think, you know, for me, if I'm sort of putting my business head on, you yeah. know, sometimes it's nice to step away from home and actually be in a different surrounding. Absolutely. Because mm. you're not putting the washing machine on or making dinner or, or doing yes. all those day-to-day -day yeah. things. You are just totally immersing yourself. And while you're doing these wonderful projects, I'm also thinking about my own skills. But equally, as a knitter, as someone who enjoys all of these things for relaxation as well, I've got a lot out of that because I, I spent quite a few months last year not being able to knit with a bad shoulder and I've just yes. got back into knitting again mm -hmm. and that's been lovely for me just to purely yeah sit and knit something has just come in my mind which is just going off mm -hmm. at a tangent slightly but I remember listening to you at the University of Glasgow at the In The Loop conference back in 2014 oh, yes. Yes. And there was something you said about make every stitch count. Absolutely. Yeah, and that's always stuck with me. Absolutely. And even this week, you know, yes, I, I am somebody who rips back. I mean, I wouldn't yep. be called TJ Frog if I didn't rip my wear back. <laughs> Those stitches are still important to me. The fact I've yes. taken them back, it doesn't, I don't mind that. But I think I have just learnt a huge amount this week, both as a what I call a social knitter, mm -hmm. but also somebody who wants to move forward. And design. And design, yes. That's it, because every stitch, I consider every stitch. Yes. I'm not a fast knitter. I like to really look at what I'm doing with each stitch. Yes. I want to love it. I want to, I ask the stitch, where do you want to be? Yes. What colour do you want to be? What way do you want to be knitted? 
you want to be a purl stitch? Do you want to be a slip stitch? <laughs> and it tells you. The yarn tells you. The design tells you. Yes. The pattern tells you, ultimately, what's right. And it's about aesthetic. It's about things being married together perfectly. And there's a point, a moment, when you look at the stitches on your needle and you know they're right. Yes. And there's no point in rushing. No. No. You know, there's absolutely no point in rushing ahead to try and complete a project. The most important thing is that it is that it visually to you it's right. Yes. And that you've thought about it all. Yes. Yes. I remember um I can't remember which year, but it was in Shetland and it was Helen Robertson. I don't know if you've ever met Helen no. in Shetland. Mm -hmm. And I remember saying her saying to me about be able to read your knitting. Yes. You know, be able to look at it. Yes. And know whether it's either right or wrong with your pattern or it's what you want it to be yes. or it's going where you want it to go, yes. you know, and that's stuck with me as well. I think in terms of designing, yes. I think it's really important to be able to say, no, I don't like this. I don't like this. Yes. And like you were saying, ripping back and all of that. I do when I'm on my own and I'm working away at something and I'm not happy with it. I will take back. By doing it, you know what's wrong. Yes. And then you go back and you make slight alterations and it, sometimes it can be tiny. Yes. Other times it can be quite major. Yes. <laughs> but the thing with, with it is that it is when you're creating... You are taking something from the external world and you are taking it through your body and through your mind, through your everything, your visual sense, everything, and it's coming out in your hands. Yeah. That's so a beautiful way to put it. You're yeah. a translator yes. of the environment, of the sounds, of music, of whatever it is that is special for you. It's coming out... It's not representative, immediately obvious mm. what it may be, but it's your translation through you, through your body, into your hands, and then it's the relationship with the wool. Yes. Or linen, or silk, or whatever. And if you give it time, then it will be the best. If you try to rush it, yes. there's no point. Yeah. That's why I'm a huge advocate of making it by hand first because that's what you're trying to achieve is that personal relationship with the exterior world coming through you to the the item you're making that's what makes it special that's the added love is the added insight and it's also you trying to communicate yes to the person that you're giving it to something that you want to give them because I don't make knitting for myself I make it for somebody else so maybe in a sense I have a muse somebody I want to give something to yes and so for me the big joy of knitting is giving mm. it's giving a part of yourself yes yeah yeah oh oh <laughs> <laughs> you've had such philosophical conversations <laughs> amazing and uh yeah yeah um fantastic i so glad that i finally got here i um, know well you know didn't we're make thrilled it last year but uh here so happy year. you're here oh no thank you it's been very special yeah it has and 
I look forward to seeing what you do next and if you come back to Spain next year what your projects will be oh, for well, that yes, yes. I'm sure you've back. already got ideas bubbling away under the surface I have I've got yes. lots of ideas <laughs> I'm not going to tell anybody no. <laughs> I'm not asking you to but no. uh, yeah I, c- I can see that uh, it is a very special place to you and you are very good at transferring that across to to everybody as well that love that you have for the place yeah yeah i uh, do love it so much and it's lovely to share to Mm. people that really appreciate it yes and it's been a fabulous group and it's been fabulous having you tanya oh thank you and i'm i'm waiting to see your new yarn and colors (laughs) and everything so yeah so while we've been away um my boxes of new yarn arrived so my Reliable TJ Fogg staff has uh, <laughs> taken ownership of that. <laughs> but it's all there for me to go back and sort out and uh, get some patterns together. Yes. And, uh, I hope you're inspired. Yes, definitely. Definitely. Thank you so much, oh. Di. It's been wonderful. And, Big uh, hug and kisses. Yes, definitely. And uh, hopefully it won't be too long before we see each other again no. and get a chance to Because you're going to come and you. teach aren't yes, you? at yes. our studio. Down to five. Yay! <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Di. A pleasure. Wow, wasn't that a great chat again with Di? Such incredible reflective insight from Di there about design work and creating. I always feel everything Di does is so considered. And I think this really came across in everything she was saying. You will find on Di's Instagram feed back in January, there's a photo of one of her Gansey charts. And although we didn't talk about this aspect of Di's work, her designs that she does are on graph paper with a pencil and she uses different marks and pressures to annotate the different stitches. And in my eyes, they are works of art in themselves. And I've seen them firsthand at some of her workshops. And to be honest, I would quite happily frame one of those and have it on my wall. They really are stunning pieces. You heard then us talk about the different projects for the retreat, how Picasso provided dye with the inspiration for the diamond intarsia mittens. And I've done one of them and I've started the second one. So I will have those finished for the next podcast. And Di talked about the Alhambra, our visit there in Granada, and how that provided the inspiration for the second piece that we could make into a bag or a cushion cover, or a wall hanging, an iPad cover or anything really. And I've decided to make mine actually into a notebook um, little cover holder. And I've done the front and I've done the back. I just need to do the fastening at the top and sew it up again. I will have that finished for next time. And we also touched on there that we did some Gansey knitting samples and I'm still working my way through those. Di also mentioned Chris Stewart, her friend, the author of the book, Well, one of many books, actually, but she particularly mentioned The Driving Over Lemons. And I've just started reading it. And it's about Chris's purchase of a house in the region of Spain where we were. And it's his introduction to the the local people, the land and the animals. And it's fascinating what I've been reading so far. So I think I'm going to really enjoy reading the rest of this book. 
And I loved hearing about Di's time in Spain when she used to be there in the winters and what she used to do. And I can just imagine her sat back in her croft house on Sky with that bowl of porridge and the sweet apples that she'd brought back with her from Spain. And listening back to us talking about olives and almond trees and lemons and herbs, oh, it really made my mouth water and made me think about all the wonderful food that we were treated to while we were there. They certainly cooked from amazing produce. Di mentioned a number of writers and artists and Di has just released a new pattern named after the artist Dora Carrington. It's a short sweater it's got great swing and ease and a lovely lace pattern. It's got the tree of life pattern going up with these incredible traveling cables around it. And there's a photo of it in the show notes with a link to the pattern. And Di has just started a knit along for it in her Ravelry group and Facebook group, if it's something you want to uh, join in and do. We touched on talking about my yarn in the interview, which arrived while I was in Spain. And if you're a newsletter subscriber, you will get a first glimpse of the colours in the newsletter. By the time the next podcast is released, it will be available to purchase as well. If you'd like to learn more about Dye, and there's still so much more to learn about Dye and her design process, then Dye has been interviewed twice by Andrea of Fruity Knitting, and you can find her in episode 55 where Di talks a lot more about that couture side of her business and how her journey as a knitwear designer started, the story behind the charts that I've touched on and more about the influences behind her work and what she learned from her time spent in the Himalayas. There's a little bit about the Maury Firth Gansey project, her work with fashion houses which includes a knitted lace ball gown. Can you believe it? Yeah. And you also get to see Sheila, who we heard from in the episode last time, as well as seeing and hearing about a couple of Di's designs in her Scottish Lambswool La Land. Di's also on episode 70, and in that one she chats more in depth about Gansey knitting, which includes the story behind a Gansey design that she's actually done for Andrew. They can both be found on YouTube, and I'll put a link to them in my show notes as well. Sadly, I am not sure when I'm going to be able to get down to Fife to visit Di or to run the Dorset Button Workshop we talked about. Although, no doubt, when the time comes, we will sit there and have a glass or two of chilled white wine and have a good catch-up. Thank you to Di then for taking part in both of those interviews. I loved chatting to her and we really did have the most amazing time in Spain and I feel very fortunate to have done that. That's it for this episode. Whatever this time is doing to you or for you, I just wish you the very best. At the moment, the choices we continue to have change and who knows what things will look like come next month. I take each day as it comes and I hope that by next episode there is some more light through all of this. Wherever you are, stay home, keep well and reach out for support if you need it. Thank you for listening. In the meantime, you can find the show notes on the website at tjfrog.co.uk. And if you'd like to get in touch with me, do drop me a line at tanya at tjfrog.co.uk or via the contact page on the website or via Facebook, Instagram, tjfrogsky, Twitter, tjfrogmakes and Ravelry as tjfrog. The music, as usual, is by Ron Paintant, licensed from Melody Loops and called One Frog for a Prince. Bye for now. Till next time.